Hello and welcome to the Marketing Meetup podcast. My name is Joe Glover. Today we have a real treat for you. We have Eddie Schlainer of Very Good Copy. It comes to you a little bit later than usual and that's because I went on holiday last week. And the benefit of giving it a little bit of time between the podcast being recorded and then posting it um, was that I actually got to see all the reactions come into the live webinar, uh, which to be honest, have been overwhelming <laughs> ever since. Uh, so many lovely comments about this session uh, from the community, uh, from people I've never even heard of, never met, uh, folks who have come into the Marketing Meetup community as a result of seeing the very talented Eddie Schlainer and the fact that he was here uh, speaking with the Marketing Meetup. It was a really, really brilliant session for anyone struggling with creative ideas or indeed writing prompts on how to uh, become a better writer or indeed a more creative person. Eddie is just phenomenal. Make sure you're following him at Very Good Copy, whether it's his newsletter or his social media channels. Uh, he's he's just brilliant, a really, really smart cookie. The great thing about Eddie is he doesn't need to speak loudly to be heard. He is someone who is thoughtful, who is well-read, who's kind, who's intelligent. He's just an absolute legend. Love him to bits. And I know that you will too by the end of this episode. Before we get going, I want to thank today's sponsors for this episode. We have 10, but uh, every week we take one of them and make them a featured sponsor. And this week it is Brand Recruitment. Brand Recruitment have been sponsors of the marketing meetup since day dot. They are phenomenal. They give uh, recruiters a good name. And I mean that in the most genuine sense. You can go into their Google reviews and you can see that time and time and time again, people have had a great experience with brand recruitment. You really must check them out if you're looking for a new job, uh, as well as checking out the Marketing Meetup Jobs Board as well. Uh, do check out both of those. So without further ado, uh, I'll hand you over to Eddie, who starts off saying some very nice things about the Marketing Meetup, which is really kind. Um, I really hope you will enjoy this episode. I know that everyone did. Uh, the internet was ablaze with so many lovely comments, so I really hope you'll enjoy it too. See you soon and enjoy the episode. Okay, well, well, first of all, that was uh, incredibly uh, generous, Joe, so I don't know if I can really live up to that, but I'll try. Um, and I want to thank you for having me on, man. Um, you know, you, you, you've built a You've built an amazing thing here uh, in the marketing meetup, an amazing community, um, you know, and you, you've set a great example for uh, so many people who aspire to build a community of their own, you know, including myself. So uh, I'm honored to join you again and, and hopefully bring some value to all the folks who uh, are with us today. Thank so, you, mate. And there's, yeah. a lot, there's a lot of people here commenting already saying what a magnificent mustache. So you're getting a lot of love already. <laughs> 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 I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> well, hey, everybody. Thanks for joining. Um, like Joe said, my name is uh, Eddie Schlainer. I'm a copywriter and a, and a content marketer um, and the founder of VeryGoodCopy.com, which is, uh, you know, where I publish content about uh, copywriting and marketing and creativity. Uh, and, you know, to date, I've created almost, say, 400 articles and, and interviews as well as uh, courses and, and series and presentations um, like this one, um, which all live live on um, uh, on or inside Very Good Copy. Um, I was also the lead copywriter at 
g2.com for a few years. And before that, I was in-house at another tech company. And, and before that, I was writing copy at an agency. So, you know, throughout my career, uh, my work has always demanded, um, you know, ideation and, and creative thinking. Um, and frankly, for a long time, you know, that was really terrifying uh, to me. Uh, like in the beginning of my career, I think I really romanticized the idea of being <clears throat> um, a copywriter and, and working in a creative capacity every day. Uh, but I was working scared, honestly, and, and uh, kind of white knuckling it, um, just like in a constant state of adrenaline, because I didn't really know, uh, I think, how, how creativity worked. You know, looking back, I, I don't think my lifestyle or um, my habits, my mindset in general was, um, you know, making it easy for me to think creatively. Uh, and that made the work really difficult for a while. Uh, and it made me kind of question my abilities and it made me question myself. And, you know, ultimately it was, um, you know, creating a lot of anxiety. So, you know, when Joe invited me and, and we decided creativity and ideation was going to be the topic, uh, you know, I went ahead and collated nine pieces of wisdom. Uh, so these are quotes or, or sayings or lessons I've come into that have uh, over the years either, um, you know, changed my perspective uh, or my ethos uh, or given me confidence uh, or in some way helped me do uh, better creative work, you know, in a healthier way, uh, a more enjoyable way. Um, and that's really important because, you know, creativity should be fun, you know, and it should be rewarding um, and it should bring you joy. And, and that's my hope is that, uh, you know, something you learn here today will bring you joy by way of uh, creative clarity um, or confidence. Because if you can be clear in your thinking, you know, and confident in your decision-making, um, you will find yourself having more consistently good uh, or I guess I should say viable uh, ideas. Um, and before we jump in, I want to note that uh, most of what I'm about to share is based on broader creative principles. So, you know, I'll be sharing a few techniques that, that will help you do creative work. Uh, but for the most part, you know, these are principles designed to um, help you think creatively uh, in all aspects of your, of your work and life. Okay. Uh, oh, one more thing. Uh, I, I have a cold, <laughs> so if my voice sounds raspy uh, or if it cracks at any point, um, I apologize in advance. Uh, also, if you hear uh, a baby crying, uh, that's Bo. Um, he's sorry, too. Okay, uh, now let's jump in. And I wanted to start with a concept that when I heard it, not only did it change the way I worked, but it, it really changed the way I saw um, everything, right? It was actually a really transformational uh, piece of wisdom that I've carried with me through just about every job, every project, uh, every article I've ever really written. Um, so it really did change my life. And um, like most profound things, it's, it's very simple. Uh, it's a quote from an old school direct response copywriter named uh, Eugene Schwartz, um, who's actually thought to be one of the better uh, copywriters of the 20th 20th century, uh, just based on his sales promotions, just based on how much they brought in. Um, and he was giving a seminar once uh, explaining his methodology and his thought process uh, when being creative. Um, and that's when he said this, he said, uh, a better word for uh, creativity is connectivity. Um, and it was such a light bulb moment for me, because up until that point, creativity was such an abstract uh, concept for me. 
like I understood fundamentally that, um, you know, creativity was the act of making something, but how, right? Like, where do I start? Uh, what are the steps? You know, how do you go from nothing to something? Um, and it turns out you don't really need to start from nothing. You know, in fact, it's almost impossible to make something out of nothing. Um, in that same seminar, Schwartz said, you can't take nothing and make anything. You're not a God, right? Instead, what you are doing when you are being creative is trying to connect two separate ideas that logically would not go together uh, up until that moment. So really, creativity is the act of taking old things um, and putting them together in new ways. And if you're a copywriter uh, or a creative director or someone responsible for bringing uh, ideas to the table, uh, this is really comforting. You know, at least it was it was for me. Uh, like I found great solace knowing that, you know, my job is not to make something out of nothing. You know, my job is to take two things that already exist that may not normally go together uh, and put them together in a way that uh, makes sense, you know, a way that uh, tells a story or stirs emotion, um, you know, a way that people will remember basically. And uh, in the context of marketing, uh, one of the best examples of this connectivity concept are uh, Super Bowl commercials. You know, if you go back through history and, you know, you'll see that, you know, some of the best, most iconic, most popular Super Bowl spots are really just connecting disparate things. So for example, let's see. Here's one from last year. Cheetos have popcorn now? Hey, I'm gonna need you to, Never mind. Can't touch this. Help. I can't touch this. I can't touch this. I can't touch this. I trust you. Stop. Time. I touched it. New Cheetos popcorn. It's a Cheetos thing. Okay, so basically, this is the product of a copywriter and an art director uh, making two things that don't normally go together, right? Cheetos and MC Hammer come together in uh, an elegant way. Uh, and, and that's what makes it so creative, the fact that it's combining two very uh, different things in a seamless and, and compelling way. Okay. Cheetos. Here's another one. Uh, I think this one was from a couple of years ago. Come out, come out. Wherever you are. Got new Mountain Dew Zero Sugar. With the same refreshing taste as the original. But without any of the sugar. Here's Mountain Dew Zero. I am thirsty. So again, this, I mean, this commercial is the result of, you know, combining Mountain Dew with The Shining, you know, which already exists in, in pop culture. So the creative team behind the spot isn't starting from scratch, right? And yet the, the, the final product is, is pretty fresh and new. And come out, come out. Now here's an example from all the way back in 1984. <laughs> Secure from the pests of 
Macintosh, and you'll see why 1984 won't be like 1984. Okay, so I'm sure everybody, you know, has seen that spot or at least heard of it. Um, you know, it's considered one of the best commercials, not just Super Bowl commercials, but commercials, period, uh, of all time. And it's the product of connection, right? Not invention. Um, it's the product of taking an existing story or uh, concept and uh, connecting it to a product, you know, or a unique selling proposition. Um, and you can do the same thing in your business. Uh, and to help you do that, I want to show you an exercise that's always helped me. Uh, basically create two columns uh, in column A and column B. And in column A, write the name of your company or your product or service or your feature, whatever it is you're, you're trying to sell. And in column B, write 50 random things. And could be nouns, could be people, could be um, allegories, fairy tales, could be shows, movies, anything really. Uh, and, you know, if you can't think of 50 things, go to uh, randomwordgenerator.com and it will instantly give you 50 things. So no excuse. Um, and then get several people in a room uh, together and go down the list and try to connect these random things to whatever it is you're selling. You know, try to create a story or a narrative where both of these things exist, um, just like those commercials did. Um, that is a tried and true mechanism uh, you can use to get this process started. And it's not going to do the work for you, but uh, it is going to give you a starting point and it's going to get uh, people talking and ideas flowing. And um, usually that's the hardest part. Okay, moving on. Uh, so a few weeks ago, I was watching uh, a great documentary about a band called Sparks. Uh, it's on Netflix. I've never actually heard of them uh, until I watched the movie, but apparently they uh, were an enormous influence on, um, you know, the entire music industry, and, and they broke a lot of new ground as far as techniques, um, you know, the techniques they were using, the stories they were telling, uh, um, you know, ultimately the type of music they were creating. Um, and the band is two brothers, Ron and uh, Russell Meal. Um, and it's been five decades and, and they're still making music and they're still relevant. I think they just did an album of Franz Ferdinand um, not too long ago. So they're doing something right. But anyway, in the documentary, uh, Russell Meal uh, said something that resonated with me. He said, uh, I think in the beginning, I was trying to be as much like Mick Jagger, or Roger Daltrey as I could possibly be. And I kind of missed the mark by a few thousand miles, but something else emerged. Um, and it's such a perfect way to express one of the key elements of, of creativity, which is emulation, right? It's copying people. Um, basically, we learn by copying uh, because when it comes to craft, we can't really introduce anything new until we've learned the fundamentals. Um, and that's why all artists uh, spend their formative years uh, producing uh, derivative work. So, you know, the Beatles started off as a cover band. Uh, Edward Hopper, you know, learned to paint by replicating other paintings. Uh, Hunter Thompson transcribed the, the Great Gatsby just to see what it was like to type 
a great novel. Um, and obviously, you know, Sparks, despite how innovative uh, they eventually became, started off emulating uh, the artists they admired. So the takeaway here, I think, is that being creative doesn't necessarily mean you have to be original. Um, you can copy and emulate and um, imitate, you know, your creative heroes, and it's still beneficial uh, to you as an artist because invariably, uh, over time, you know, you will start making adjustments to their work uh, that align with your unique tastes, you know, and your preferences. Uh, and the more you do this, the more adjustments and, and changes you make, um, you know, the less recognizable those influences will become, you know, until eventually the work is going to be your own, you know, and then people will see it as your own and then people eventually will start uh, imitating you. Okay. Uh, so I heard a contemporary designer named Mike Montero say something once, uh, and it's never really left me. And, uh, I talk about it with people all the time, especially folks who are stuck in, in their creative process. Uh, you know, specifically people who don't know what to write about next or what to create next because they feel like they don't have anything to offer. Um, and here it is. He said, the secret to being good at anything is to approach it like a curious idiot rather than a know-it-all genius. So in other words, if you look at this quote through uh, a creative lens, you know, the message is don't put so much pressure on yourself to be an expert. You know, when I started Very Good Copy, I was not an expert at anything. Uh, I didn't know anything about copywriting, anything about persuasion, uh, about newsletters or, um, you know, social media or growth marketing or anything that I now teach people. Um, you know, I started very good copy as a way to teach myself things really. Um, and VGC was my way of, of documenting my education. Uh, and through that process, you know, I killed two birds. You know, I taught myself copywriting and marketing and, uh, you know, I built an audience comprised of people who um, essentially were learning alongside, you know, with me, uh, especially in the beginning. So, now, had I, had I told myself that, you know, um, I wasn't qualified to teach marketing because, you know, I didn't, I didn't know marketing, um, I don't know if I would be here right now. I, you know, I'm here because I said I'm going to be, uh, you know, curious and, and study and document my education and, uh, you know, and share it with whoever's interested. So I wasn't, an, you know, an expert who had his own ideas necessarily. I was just like a curious idiot, you know, who committed himself to packaging and distributing other people's ideas in, in my own unique way. Um, and I think really that's, that's, what made, uh, that's what made the difference. Okay. Is, hey, by the way, is this thing in the way? Joe? Uh, thing? What thing? The, the... No, you're all good, man. You're all good. Yeah? Yeah, all yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> okay. Just making sure. <laughs> um, okay, so I love John Cleese. Um, I think he's a lot of fun. He's an actor, but he, he's also a writer. Uh, and he authored a book uh, about creativity, and it's called Creativity. Um, really short, really good book. Um, and there are a ton of great lessons in, in it. Um, but one specifically uh, has helped me a lot, especially with a very good copy. He says, we don't know where we get our ideas from. What we do know is that we do not get them from uh, our laptops. So in other words, you know, having real world 
physical experience is, is excellent fodder. Um, and having this in the back of my mind has been really invaluable. Um, you know, as I was writing and ideating for uh, VGC articles, specifically because, you know, so many of them are framed in uh, a personal story, you know, something that uh, happened to me while I was out in the world living my life. Um, and I take these stories and anecdotes and happenings, and I do my best to connect them or weave them uh, into a lesson about copywriting or marketing or creativity. Um, and this is something every one of us can do. If you want to deliver a message, uh, one of the best ways to make it stick is to frame it in a personal story, you know, a story that happens out there away from uh, your computer screen. And if you do this, what you'll notice is that uh, other people will see their lives uh, in your stories. Uh, and that's because by and large, we're all the same, right? We're all sharing the, uh, the human condition. So even though your experiences are personal to you, uh, they may still be universal and that's incredibly powerful. Uh, so when Cleese says step away from your from your laptop to get ideas, he's really just saying go feel something in the real world. You know, go make a connection with someone, um, and then bring that feeling back to your work. Uh, and chances are, uh, people will will empathize. Okay. Um, so Charles Bukowski is one of my favorite writers uh, for many reasons, but uh, in part because his uh, creative journey is so inspirational. Um, you know, he worked at the post office until he was in his 50s. Um, and he worked there all day. And then, you know, he would go home and, and write poems at night. And he did this for decades, you know, writing poems and, and sending them off to publishers. Uh, this was year after year, but he didn't really make any uh, significant progress. Um, I think he had some sporadic success, but uh, he could never really break out in a way that uh, allowed him to, you know, quit the post office and write for a living full time. Uh, and then one day he uh, met a publisher named John Cleese, or I'm sorry, John Martin. Um, and this Martin guy found his work and became obsessed with it and, and was convinced that, uh, you know, Bukowski was the next Whitman. And so he made him a deal. He told Bukowski that if he quit his job uh, at the post office to work full time as an author, he would one, publish anything he wrote, um, and two, pay him $100 a month uh, for the rest of his life, whether he was writing uh, good stuff or not, whether he was successful or not commercially. Um, and apparently back then it was the 70s, so $100 was enough for Bukowski. So they agreed. Uh, and Bukowski began writing his first book. Uh, and the story goes, he finished it in three weeks because he was so anxious uh, to get something out there and see the response. So he gave himself three weeks to finish it, and he did. And it's a perfect example, I think, of, of Parkinson's law, which states that work expands so as to fill the time available for its com completion. So in other words, if you give yourself a year to write a book, uh, it will take you a year to write it. Uh, but if you give yourself three weeks to write a book, um, it'll take you three weeks. Uh, and the same law applies to you know, smaller scale projects. Um, if you give yourself eight hours to write an email, uh, it'll take you eight hours. But if you give yourself two hours, um, you'll finish in two hours. And uh, I think that's because by putting a hard deadline on creative work, you won't have time to, you know, second guess your decisions 
and, and doubt your ideas. In other words, you won't have time to complicate things. Uh, and that's really the secret. Um, that's why Parkinson's law is the law. Like time is a, is a luxury that basically gives you permission to complicate things. Um, and when you take that luxury away, suddenly you're forced to start making decisions and committing to ideas. Okay. Um, another story about Eugene Schwartz, uh, the copywriter, he got hired to uh, create an ad for a product. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what it was, but it doesn't really matter. Point is he, he met the client at a bar uh, and they ordered a few drinks and the client loosened up and, and started talking about his, his company uh, and his product and his market for uh, hours. Uh, and all the while, Schwartz was there with uh, pen and paper, taking notes. And when there was a lull in the conversation, he would just ask another question and the client would uh, start up again. Um, and that night after the bar, Schwartz went home and wrote the ad. And according to him, 70% of the ad was in the client's own words. You know, even the headline was something that uh, the client said verbatim. Um, and when the ad ran, it was a winner. And the client was happy and Schwartz earned a, a great commission check. And uh, the lesson here in Schwartz's own words is that you don't need to have great ideas uh, if you can hear great ideas. Uh, and this is especially true in copywriting and marketing. You know, some of the best ideas uh, and even turns of phrase will come from clients and stakeholders uh, and customers. So your job is less about uh, invention uh, and more about recognition um, and assembly. You know, you have to be able to recognize a good angle when you hear one, and you have to be able to assemble it into a story using um, all of the copywriting elements at your disposal. So, for example, a headline is an element, um, subheads, uh, images, image captions, uh, body copy, CTAs. These are all elements you can use to help assemble a narrative based on uh, information uh, and ideas somebody else gives you. Uh, this next one is something I picked up independently, um, over time. And, uh, it's, it's been really invaluable, uh, at least to me. Um, and it's probably one of the simplest things I do as a writer, but also one of the most important, um, you really got to record your ideas as they come to you. Um, and again, it seems so simple, but it like, you know, it's almost like not advice, you know, it's like common sense or something. Like you have an idea, you write it down. You have another idea, you write it down. But I've learned the hard way uh, that it's not that easy. Like recording your ideas as they come to you uh, is something you have to um, really train yourself to do. Um, and it has to be like an automatic response and you have to be draconian about it for it to work. Uh, because it's really easy to, I think every now and then just be like, oh, I'll, I'll just remember that you know, I'll write that down later. Uh, but if you do that, you really underestimate the way uh, memory works. You know, like we forget our lives almost as quickly as we live them. Uh, and that's really dangerous when you live off your ideas because you never know which ideas is going to be a breakthrough. Um, and inevitably you will forget. Um, and if you don't completely forget it, it might morph into, you know, something else, something not as good. So uh, I've really committed myself to pulling out my phone and, and, and writing my ideas uh, the moment they come to me. And that's, 
that's all the time. So I could be in the shower or I could be watching a show or in my sleep. I've, I've literally woken up to write things down. Um, and sometimes it leads to nothing. And, and sometimes it leads to uh, some of my best work. And another benefit, I think, of, of constantly and immediately recording is that you create a well of ideas to, uh, to pull from. Um, like I literally have a folder called the well uh, in my Google Drive. Uh, and it's got hundreds and hundreds of ideas and, and notes and kernels I can use to start an article. Um, and if you don't already have something similar, uh, I really recommend it. You know, just create a, a folder in Google Drive uh, and inside that folder only format documents a specific way so that when you see them, you can instantly start writing um, and you don't need to put the pieces together in your mind again. So obviously the format is going to be different, you know, for everybody. But for example, the way I do it, I write a headline and then I populate three bullets with additional context. So I'll open a new doc, I'll write a headline or, or basically the main idea of the article. And then one bullet will be, you know, the lesson I'm trying to teach. Another bullet will be the story or the anecdote uh, I'm connecting it to. And then the third bullet might be, you know, more context or, or a link to something uh, similar for inspiration. And this way, even if I come back to this idea months after recording it, you know, I have enough information to, uh, like I said, hit the ground running uh, instead of trying to recreate the idea in my head. Um, so yeah, that technique has been pretty invaluable to me. And, and I think without it, I, I wouldn't be nearly as productive as, a, as I have been. Okay, so uh, my favorite show by far is Mad Men. Um, and I love it not only because, you know, the main characters are copywriters and, you know, it takes place in an ad agency. I, I really love it because at its core, it's a show about, you know, the human condition and, and advertising is really just the vessel for a lot of the storylines. Um, but anyway, I bring it up because there's an excellent scene, uh, early on in the series. Um, I'm pretty sure it's season one when Don Draper, who's the creative director at the agency, is helping one of the junior copywriters um, named Peggy uh, brainstorm a campaign. Um, and his advice to her is, Peggy, just think about it deeply uh, and then forget it and an idea will jump up in your face. And the first time I heard this, I didn't really get it. I didn't understand um, you know, the mechanism. It was very confusing to me why this would work. Uh, but when I became a student of copywriting, I realized Draper was explaining the concept of incubation uh, which is absolutely real and, and absolutely works. Um, incubation is when your brain subconsciously makes new connections. Uh, and then these connections randomly bubble up to your conscious mind. Um, so some people call their best connections light bulb moments. You know, when you just kind of have a fantastic idea out of nowhere, uh, kind of like an epiphany. Um, and usually this happens after you take in a lot of information, you know, after you do a lot of research, reading, uh, learning about a specific topic or market uh, or product. And then, you know, you allow yourself the space to not actively think about all the knowledge you just acquired. Um, and the operative word there is actively, because even if you're not consciously thinking about all that information, um, your brain is still processing it in the background, you know, like making sense of everything uh, you just learned and, and making connections at the same time. Um, and that's why people say their best ideas come to them in the shower, 
you know, when, when their mind is elsewhere on a walk or, or during a movie um, or in the morning when you wake up and, and you're feeling refreshed and, and creative, that's the miracle of uh, incubation. You know, that's the miracle of your mind processing and, and making connections in the background. Um, the only problem is that, you know, it couldn't be kind of hard to, you know, find that time to incubate when, you know, for example, you're under a deadline or something, you know, like you can't always have the luxury of stepping away from your work um, to do nothing. And the way I've dealt with this problem is uh, by working on several things at once. So for example, instead of working on one article all day, I'll bounce between three articles. So I'll spend an hour working on each uh, and just alternate my attention. Um, and by doing so, I'm actually still working on three articles. I'm working on one consciously um, and I'm working on the other two subconsciously. And this way, when I come back to an article, I feel like I have a new lease on it. Um, you know, I feel like I'm looking at it with fresh eyes. So it doesn't always make sense to uh, jump around. You know, sometimes it's good to, you know, be as focused as possible and, and have like this kind of deep work or flow state. But other times, you know, if you're getting stuck a lot or if you're hitting a wall or if you feel like you can't really make um, decisions, try bouncing between projects and giving yourself an opportunity to uh, incubate while you work. Okay. So uh, in Chicago, there's, there's a famous comedy troupe called uh, uh, Second City and it's produced you know, hundreds of household names. Um, so, you know, Chris Farley, Steve Carell, Bob Odenkirk, um, Amy Sedaris, Bill Murray, Tina Fey, that's just a handful of the folks um, who were trained and performed at Second City. And uh, I used to live right up the street, so I started going, and I was taking a lot of writing classes, but I was also, you know, taking improv classes. And uh, one of the things I learned um, is that one of the core tenets of improv is, is yes and. Um, and what does that mean? It means, you know, if your improv partner says something to you, uh, don't shut her down, right? Don't say no, but, uh, and then go in a different direction. Uh, you have to embrace whatever your partner sends your way and then add to it. Um, because you should be fostering a sense of uh, cooperation and unity, really, uh, rather than shutting down suggestions. Um, because as soon as you shut someone down, you've kind of lost that momentum, you've lost that moment. And uh, yeah, if you, if you don't have the moment, you know, if you don't have the, the scenario, the story in an improv show, you, you really have nothing. You're just kind of, you know, just kind of up there. So uh, in other words, yes and is the protocol that allows for anything to happen. Um, and that's true for improv performers, but it's also true for anybody doing any form of, of creative expression. You know, whether you're on stage or you're doodling a picture or you're writing a story, uh, the more receptive you are to uh, bouncing around, to uh, trying different things, to rolling with the punches, uh, to embracing uncertainty in general, uh, the more likely it is you'll come up with, um, you know, fresh, unique, compelling ideas. Um, and that's really counterintuitive to most people. Most people naturally want to be uh, selective and, and maintain as much control as possible because it feels safer and it feels more predictable. Um, like not knowing what's coming next, you know, in almost any circumstance, um, you know, but especially when you have to produce ideas uh, is really scary. Uh, but it turns out not knowing is a great 
I guess, foundation for uh, creativity, um, which is why you should say yes and uh, on stage as, as an improv performer. And it's why you should say yes and uh, in life, uh, I think, as a, as a creative person as well. Okay, folks, that's all I got, I guess. <laughs> Thank you very much. Dude, smashed it. Thank you so much, Eddie. You know, like there was there was a um there was a quote early on in the chat you saw someone said, Eddie seems seems shy. And and actually, you know what? It's not that. It's just you don't need to speak loudly sometimes when you got gold like that. So thank you, mate. Uh, <laughs> unbelievable. There was a lovely quote there from from the, the the famous Dave Harland who is sat uh, in the chat as well. Hey, so, <laughs> so yeah. uh, this session is like a little science fan getting to listen to Albert Einstein. Uh, yeah. and <laughs> Dave's, uh, Dave's too nice to me, man. He's always so nice. I, <laughs> um, I don't think he is. I think I think he's, you're right. So thank you, mate. Um, some really really lovely comments coming through uh in the chat right now so thank you to everyone uh popping in uh those those comments it's so lovely to see it's been received really great as well uh do pop in the q a i can see that there's 18 open questions right now already uh so folks if you give a thumbs up to the questions that uh you want answering then we'll make sure to answer them first and then we'll work through the list uh but eddie thank you mate uh unbelievable uh, let's head into the Q&A. I, I think there's a lot of questions here that aren't just um, aren't, aren't just about what you necessarily presented on, but also just your experience here as well. Um, I think there's a lot of people who have come in knowing who you are and uh, sort of asked for your experience. So hopefully that's okay with you. Mm -hmm. um, the first question comes from Poppy. Um, so Poppy asks, uh, are there any key questions you always ask a client around a copywriting brief? Uh, beyond the what slash when and more about sort of revealing something that they might not have thought to include in a brief? Uh, well, first of all, I'm looking through the, the comments. I really appreciate all you guys. You guys are very nice. <laughs> um, I know I deserve it, but I appreciate you all the same. Um, and as for questions uh, that I ask during a brief, or that I wouldn't include in a brief, you know. Really, you just want to get the, you just want to get the conversation going. You just want to get the 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 client talking or the stakeholder talking. Um, so just like that piece I said about, um, you know, Eugene Schwartz, you know how he he sat down with the client at a at a bar and you know they were having drinks and you know the you know the client was just you know talkative, I guess a loquacious guy, and you know just kept on going. Um, I think as long as you're asking open-ended questions, um, you know, things that, uh, you know, uh, you know, you, you can't answer with a yes or no question, um, you, you really can't go wrong, you know, because you never know where there's going to be an angle, you never know when there's going to be some turn of phrase, um, you know, that, that you're going to be able to draw inspiration from. Um, I really don't want to ask questions that um, I necessarily, uh, like, know the answer to or can you know kind of predict what the answer is going to be um you want you want to be you want there to be as you know you want there to be a broad uh <laughs> kind of kind of range for the answers uh because again you, you just never know what's going to um what's going to spark 
uh, an angle or, or um, an idea. So that's great. Thank you, mate. And, and I guess that speaks to curiosity, right? You know, and, and you know, you and I were speaking before we went live on the chat today. It, it, is it, you know, do you feel like creativity is intrinsically linked to that curiosity or is that something completely different? You know, maybe oh, yeah. I'm linking together two concepts here that don't deserve to be. I don't know. But, um, oh, yeah. No, no, hell yeah. I mean, I, I'm my latest obsession is uh, Leonardo da Vinci. I was telling you, I was reading the uh, uh, the Walter Isaacson book, uh, his biography, and um, one of the one of the things he discusses in there is 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 how you know past biographers of 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 da Vinci always said that he was you know, he had this God-given talent that he was a genius, um, unlike any other man, um, because, you know, he was born with it. But really, Isaacson makes makes the argument that, um, you know, he uh, built himself into this genius. You know, he wasn't like an Einstein that just had, like, incredible computing power. Um, he was He was just an extremely curious person uh, who wanted to know everything about the world. He wanted to know, um, you know, what a woodpecker's tongue looked like for whatever reason. Um, he wanted to know really fundamental things that, um, you know, you and I probably haven't thought about, you know, since we we're little kids, you know, he wanted to know why the sky was blue. Um, you know, he wanted to know how uh, water made its way to the top of a mountain. You know, he would ask himself all sorts of questions. Um, and then he would pen his theories in, in his notebooks. They had like, he had like 7,200 pages of notes um, at his death that, that survived to this day. And that's how he wrote the book, just by like, just by studying those pages. Um, but the point is he was curious about so many things and he got a lot of flack. Uh, critics always said like, if, if he wasn't thinking about all of these other things, he would be, uh, he would produce so much more work. He would produce so many more paintings. And that might be true, but he wouldn't have produced the Mona Lisa. You know, he wouldn't have been uh, Leonardo da Vinci, um, because all of those other uh, elements of his personality, all of the things that he was curious about informed that work. Um, and so really, I mean, that is the, uh, 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 according to Isaacson, that's, that's the, the secret to, to genius, is being able to connect all of these disparate things from across disciplines. Um, so really, it's, it all goes back to connection. You know, like Schwartz said, it's it's not creativity, um, it's connectivity. Uh, the more things you can connect um, in seamless ways, uh, the more brilliant you will be perceived. Oh my God, <laughs> so good. Thank you, mate. Um, that that was just lovely. Uh, thank you, um, folks. There's some there's a lot of questions coming into the the uh, chat feature, uh, so don't forget to pop them into the Q and A because that's where I'm reading from, and and that's where folks can give a thumbs up to the ones. Uh, you want answering we probably won't get through them all so uh, it's important to use that thumbs up feature so we get the ones that you want answered to the top uh, so the next one comes from uh, Kelsey um, and Kelsey uh, is now marketing meetup famous uh, the first recipient of our grant uh, and Kelsey says uh, do you have any advice on when to recognize you're burning out and that's affecting your creativity uh, have you got um, any advice on, on how to reset Right. Well, burnout is a phenomenon that um, will affect uh, probably everybody uh, at some point. 
um, not just creative people or creative pros, but you know anybody that's doing work um, um, is probably going to burn out from time to time. Um, and the symptoms are really simple and exactly what you think they might be. It's just you start losing um, your enthusiasm for whatever it is you once loved to do. Um, you know, and this happens to me quite often. You know, I'll just be like, you know what, I I uh, I sit down and I try to write. Um, you know, that happens on a daily basis, but sometimes it just doesn't come out. You know, I just, I really just can't do it. Um, you know, either I'm physically tired or like, I, I really just can't make any connections in my brain. I, you know, so it, it's a really, it's a really, like I said, the symptoms are really typical. You just lose enthusiasm, lose focus for the things that you were, you're really good at. And the best thing you can do, um, is step away. Best thing you can do is, um, you know, really uh, occupy your mind with something else. Uh, that that seems to always, um, you know, refill my tank. Yes, I love that. And it, I mean, it seems like, as, as you said in the presentation, it seems like an important part of the creative process, you know, is actually to step away as well, you know, so um, there's probably a thought there about, you know, if, if you're not allowing yourself to step away, then you're not giving yourself, you know, it might be leading to that opportunity to for burnout to sort of exist in the first instance as well. So um, I think it's important. And I remember Jeremy Waite said something similar from IBM uh, when he came and spoke about storytelling. And he said, you know, just give times to to step outside and look at the clouds. And it feels important. <laughs> so, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, let your, yeah, step out, let your mind wander a little bit, um, you know, because I think I touched on this in the presentation, like your, your, your brain is always working in the background. Mm -hmm. You're constantly putting things together um, subconsciously. And uh, sometimes if you can't do it consciously, that just, that just means, you know, you're tired or, you know, what, whatever, whatever is going on in your life isn't allowing you to do that. So let your brain do it, do it for you in the background. Um, and sometimes that could take a couple hours and sometimes that could take days and sometimes that can take weeks. Um, but you know, I guess it all depends on, on how burnt out you are, how, how tired you are. Uh, hopefully, hopefully it's not one of those situations where you just, you know, you lose interest for it completely, which I think is, is a risk. You know, if you push yourself really, really hard and you're burnt out and you just keep on like pounding yourself, you know, it, it could be that you just lose, um, enthusiasm for that, uh, for that discipline altogether. Um, but I think that would take a, you know, take a lot. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I like that from Angie, who uh, says, I call that parking, uh, parking, uh, parking it. And I like that a lot. Um, we've got 24 open questions and, and nine minutes, Eddie. So uh, I'm going to, I'm going to try and get through as many as possible. I'm going to try not to ramble. I, <laughs> Mate, you, you are absolutely fine. Um, you are, you're spitting gold. Um, so thank you. Um, so we've got Kat. Uh, Kat asks, uh, how do you manage your copy uh, getting watered down from having too many stakeholders or sign-off points? Um, because presumably a lot of people exist, and you would have existed in in this space too, where there's a lot of a lot of cooks. How do you avoid that that sort of, or even deal with that that situation? Well, I I guess it's different for everybody, depending on on how bureaucratic your organization is. But um, the best thing to do is just to um, uh, keep your circle really tight, you know, from the get-go. Um, 
you know, there, there's a lot of tactical things you can do from, from not, you know, letting too many people into the, into the Google doc or not letting too many people into the meeting or, you know, but, but it's, it's hard to answer that question without being inside of the, uh, the organization. Mm -hmm. um, but I know that, you know, when, when I'm working with creative partners, I try to keep it to uh, myself and, and, and a designer or um, myself and a designer and, and, and the original stakeholder. Um, and, you know, try not to let too many people into the process because you're right. If, if, um, if it's a, if it's writing or, or creating by committee, uh, oftentimes that, that process becomes much longer than it needs to be. Um, and, uh, the final product probably won't be as, uh, um, as tight as it could have been with just a few brains working on it. Um, there's, there's a very similar question that, that comes next from Anonymous. So I'm going to, I'm going to move past that one in the interest of, uh, allowing lots of different topics to be covered. Um, and the next one is from, uh, Noman who says, uh, I have this obsession with making things perfect or good, uh, because of this, I've procrastinated on putting out content. Uh, so. And, and actually gives further context. It says it's easy for me to publish as a ghostwriter, but not through my name. Uh, as much as that's a comment, I think there is a question there, which is, you know, how do you avoid perfection? Is it the time thing that you spoke about in the presentation or, or is it something else? Yes, sir. Yeah. I mean, I can edit one of these articles until I die, you know, like I, I could just keep on going. So like, it's a really, really healthy thing to do to give yourself a, give yourself a, a deadline, self-imposed, and say, I'm going to publish this, share it, what have you on this date at this time. And, you know, wherever it is, that's where it is, you know, do what you have to do to make it as good as you can. Um, but, uh, you know, that, you know, it's, it, it's just, it's just a matter of managing your deadlines and being, and being honest with yourself. Um, you know, cause, cause it's, it's so healthy to just put stuff out there. You know, it's so healthy to like have a deadline, stick to it and, and move on to something else and create something new. Mm -hmm. um, you know, your work isn't going to be like, it's not going to be Da Vinci, you know, it's not going to be perfect. Uh, but, um, you know, I think, I think the value in moving on to something new and creating something else um, uh, uh, kind of overrules that, that perfection that you might get on that one project. Do you ever, out of interest, and there needs to be a sentence, but do you ever go back and, and re-edit stuff? You know, do you ever go back and, and change it or, or do you sort of put it out in the world? Yeah. Well, it, it, it's more so for, you know, marketing and, and growth purposes, right? Like I've, I've written a lot uh, of articles, but then I'll go back and, and I'll, I'll look at what I published three or four years ago um and i'll just cringe and i'll be like well i can make this better <laughs> and then i'll rewrite it with you know uh with the benefit of everything that i know now and, and the growth that i've had you know over those years as, as a writer and as a marketer so you know i'll go back and i'll i'll remake things um but uh yeah i think that's i think that's very different than going back or than than sticking to something for you know for 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 longer than you need to yeah love that um, so there's a lovely question here from Anita. Uh, so Anita asks, uh, you mentioned that when you started out, you knew nothing about copywriting. Uh, at what point in your journey did you start to see yourself as a copywriter? 
Oh, that is nice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's a hard one. <laughs> well, yeah. hard one. I don't know, but uh, it'll be. Well, I, I'll tell you this. I mean, I am I immediately started to call myself a copywriter and tell people that I was a copywriter. You know, I didn't really know uh, as I certainly didn't know as much as I, I know now or, or uh, you know, have that experience. Um, but, you know, I, I, I wanted to, uh, you know, that I had a goal and, and that's what I wanted to be. And, and so, you know, I, I saw myself as a copywriter from the get go, I guess, I guess when, when did I technically like feel like I could, um, uh, like, like I was a copywriter. I mean, you know, it was, it was very validating to get hired as, uh, you know, to do that job and have that and have that title and everything. But I mean, to this day, I feel like there's so much more that I can learn so much better than I can get. I mean, I look at like people that I really look up to um, and, you know, they've just, you know, they're, they're infinitely better. So there's a lot uh, there's a lot of room um, to grow for me. But um, I think I think, you know, in the beginning, just don't doubt yourself and say, hey, this is who I am and I'm doing my best to learn um, and, you know, give yourself that confidence and, you know, you will become it. Uh, eventually mm -hmm. yeah, spot on I, th I think that um to, to relate to your answer i think you know whether there was ever a point where I've, i would personally consider myself uh, a, a marketer you know or an accomplished marketer or a good marketer or or, or whatever it may be I, I don't know whether that point has ever come you know I, I think there's just a there's just a a moment where well not even the moment you've got the job title and, and, and you do your best in it um and, and I, I think it's interesting there that you started off calling yourself a copywriter, but then actually, as your answer progressed, you sort of spoke about like feeling like a copywriter. And, and I do think they're, they're distinct things. So, um, you know, that's a great answer there, Eddie. And also, I just want to say thank you for opening your talk in such a, uh, a vulnerable and an open place as well. I, I really appreciated that. And I know that the audience did too. Um, I, I wanted to make sure that that, that was included there um we've got about we've only got a couple of minutes left so i think we'll take this question from holly and, and that may well be it um so holly asks uh do you have any tips on how to avoid proofing uh proofing fatigue when going through multiple iterations of your copy or indeed longer copy um you know how how what's what's your method <laughs> yeah i guess like when you when you just start your eyes start to glaze over you just read the same thing over and over again I mean, I get, you know, kind of a simplistic answer to this, but you just got to, you got to step away from it. You got to take some time away from the draft. Um, you know, I wish there was something, you know, more complex or magical, but, but really there's, there's nothing like stepping away, giving yourself a break, occupying your mind with something else. And then again, you know, you'll come back to it and the mistakes or the issues will kind of pop out at you because, um, you know, you've, you've been studying it for so long. You know, you come back to it, your brain has been incubating and thinking about uh, uh, the words in the background. So, you know, wish, wish there was something more, more I could say, but you just got to step away from it, and come back to it. I, you know, I, I think that's spot on. And, and actually that speaks to something which we're seeing in, in the chat feature here as well, which is uh, there's, there's a comment come through sort of saying, uh, I came into the session feeling quite anxious and overwhelmed, and this has been a massive breath, breath of fresh air. And like, but you know, these, these sessions, you know, that says everything about you, Eddie, but it also says everyone who's taken the time to attend today because they've taken an hour, hopefully to focus on today's session 
get away from the laptop, well, in, in a form, get away from the work uh, and, and then sort of give time to invest in themselves, their learning, or sort of be processing things in the background. That's where those connections are made. Uh, so, you know, spot on. Um, and, and let me just say, man, I, I appreciate all you guys coming out and, and you know, taking an hour <laughs> with us. I mean, uh, it's really an honor. So, um, you know, I, I don't take it for granted at all. And, and uh, I just appreciate you all. And, and Joe, I appreciate you having me on again, man. It's, um, you know, they said they were anxious when they came. I was a little anxious when I came on, but uh, you always have a, a way of, uh, of, of, uh, of uh, you know, making people feel comfortable. So I appreciate you. Uh, thank you, mate. You know, I, I really appreciate that. And you're getting so much love right now uh, in the chat feature. So as Nicholas says, actually, uh, please thank Eddie for the very good copy emails. Please go and get his emails. If you're not subscribed already, then make sure you are because uh, they are just so lovely uh, and so inspirational. Um, absolutely smash it. Uh, Eddie, that is our time. And, and thank you also to uh, everyone <laughs> for chatting um honestly what an amazing session and, and like the, the the comments coming through are just so so lovely so uh, we really really appreciate it um there's a couple of questions about the rewatch we'll publish a write-up and on uh, in the next couple of days it also goes on the marketing meter podcast um and it's also on our youtube as well um please do take the time to thank dominic from brand recruitment and likewise, you know, thank our other sponsors. Without them, we wouldn't be able to bring these sessions to you. So please do take the time. Uh, I'm speaking for as long as possible to give Eddie as much opportunity to digest these chat feature messages, praising him as possible. Uh, so a big thank you to everyone who's been uh, watching today, uh, taking part. Thank you to Eddie, and uh, we'll see you very, very soon. Take care.